Uh, Hebrews 10, which we read at the beginning of the service, will be one of the, the, the sections of Scripture that we go back to over and over over this month. Uh, another one that we will look at, and we're going to look at more today, is Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you or your device, I encourage you to open it up to Ephesians 2. Just let it sit there for a second. Last Sunday was a special Sunday for me. We had just finished up a nine-week series uh, on the DNA of the church, and, uh, and it, was a pre- it, was a, it was a challenging series to prepare, a fun series to present, uh, and I appreciate the way that you uh, received it. Uh, I appreciate the conversations and the questions that, that, that flowed out of that. Well, last Sunday we finished that up. We sang a powerful song called Soon, uh, and then as Scott was closing out services, I snuck off to the back door just so I could say goodbye, wish you guys a great week, meet some new people. Um, and as people were flowing out, flowing out, flowing out, most of you had left. I appeared in the door looking for my family uh, because the girls had surprised us on Friday, or surprised me. Um, they showed up from Cedarville, uh, and they spent the weekend uh, with us, so now I was looking, okay, what are we going to do now? Are we going to go get dinner? Are we going to go home before they head back? But when I peeked in and looked around, I couldn't find them anywhere. So they had to have either, Dave, just got past me when I was talking to somebody, or they purposefully left by another exit. And I remember asking Jeff Howell if he'd seen them, um, but, and he hadn't. So at that point in time, I didn't know whether uh, to be a little bit hurt or a, bit, a little bit impressed uh, that they were able to get out of here without, without me seeing them. So I leave my phone typically in my office just because I habitually forget to turn it on to silent mode uh, during services, and I didn't want that going off uh, like anybody else's in the room named Patsy that might do that uh, during a service. Um, did that slip out? Sorry. So I left it over there. So I, 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 I talked with a few more people, eventually made my way over to my office, and I saw I had a couple of texts from Shelby that said, hey, we have to go to the store. We're going to make pizza. The boys are coming over for lunch. So at least they told me where they were headed, and I, I felt the love return uh, a little bit. So as we assembled on the Foreman Farm, uh, we made homemade pizza. And this is a pretty eclectic batch of pizzas because in our family, we have, uh, I have, uh, and they're both on stage most Sundays, I have, I have one son who's a strict vegan and I have one son who is a strict meat eater. Uh, so our pizzas uh, have to be very varied uh, when we come together. So we had four different pizzas and there was something there uh, for everybody. Um, and when we were all finished, we assembled around our dining room table. We had our oldest son, Chamberlain, his wife, Kaylee, and their daughter, two-year-old daughter, Coriander. And uh, we had Carrington and Kennedy who were in from Cedarville. We had Kendrick and his new bride, Hannah, uh, Shelby, and me. And if or when our family ever adds more people, we're going to need a bigger table uh, because we were crammed around our dining room table already. This was a special moment for me because of the very merry COVID Christmas that we had. We hadn't been assembled around a table for several, several months We weren't able to be together uh, at the holidays, Uh, so this, uh, a long time had passed since we were able to congregate around our table, and I missed my family. Now, our table, or our family, is as varied as the pizzas that were now on our plates. As I said, we have meat eaters and veggie eaters. 
We have musicians and artists. We have uh, athletes and non-athletes. We have uh, professionals and students. We have Ohioans, and now we even have West Virginians in our family. Uh, we have a pastor, a salesman, a web designer. We have a soon-to-be graphic designer and a soon-to-be uh, physician's assistant. We're, we're dads, we're moms, we're grandpa and grandma. We're brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. We have members with tattoos, and we have those of us who are scared to death of needles. Uh, we are a unique assembly, but it's my assembly. It's my family, and I was loving being around that table together. We have our inside jokes that no one else would get or even think are funny, uh, and you would think we are weird if we tried to just slide one of those in in regular conversation. We, we share common memories. We have common pains and fears. We have the same highs that we celebrate, and we have the same lows that we mourn together. We have our own traditions. We have our way of doing things. We have our, uns, our own set of unspoken rules silly antics, and much more that make us, us. And there ain't nobody else like that. And your family is the same. There's no other family like your family. Who we are as a family shapes what we do. Then what we do when we gather around the family table shapes who we are. Our meal flows, it flows from and it reinforces our family identity. It's different when one of us isn't there or two or three of us aren't there. It's not the same. We still eat, obviously, but it's not the same. Last Sunday when my whole family was crammed around our dining room table, more important than having my belly filled, my spirit was filled because my family was there. I was once again bound to those that I love most in the world. We shared a meal together. We shared experiences together, and that fuels me and will fuel me until the next time that we're able to be assembled together again. We're beginning a new series today. And again, it's on the church, but it's not about, it's not nine weeks long, and it's not about those underlying things that make the church the church across all time and space. It has to do more with what happens when the church assembles. What happens when we worship together. My hope in this series is to show that worshiping God together as a church is like a family dinner. It's essential for who we are, and it shows who we are. Christians are called individually to offer their lives as living sacrifices. We see this from Paul in Romans chapter 12. But when we gather together as a church congregation, as a local church, something unique happens. Uh, we enjoy Christ together, we exalt God together, uh, we edify one another. And that's what we want to investigate and uncover in this month of March, is what happens when we come together. Because the whole of the church is more than just the sum of her parts. It's more than just us when we gather together. Now there's a lot of conversations about how you do church. There, there's talk, questions about when you meet how do you contextualize the timeless truths of Scripture into today's culture? How, how often uh, should we have sing a hymn as compared to a contemporary song? How long should the pastor preach? How, what, how should we decide what the pastor preaches? And all these things about how. And those are all important questions. But if we make those questions the main focus, then we miss something crucial. 
So today, I want us to focus on a who question. Not who we worship, because hopefully that is plain for us after we came out of that nine-week series. Today, I want us to focus on who worships. All throughout Scripture, we see this corporate nature to salvation. Yes, God calls individuals, Jesus saves individuals, but there's also something bigger at play when we look at Scripture. God didn't call just Abraham, he called his whole family. And you see that play out all throughout Scripture. Uh, In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, you see God rescue uh, Abraham's family from Israel, or his family Israel, and he makes them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What do priests do? They worship. They consecrate, they center, they bring the presence of God to the people they worship. And by calling this whole people a kingdom of priests, God gave them a commission, a priestly commission to be worshiping and mediating and consecrating each other as they celebrate God. And and, and though God will eventually and finally hold us each individually accountable for, for the life that we have lived, he also deals at great lengths with his people, plural. And that's what we want to look at today. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, I encourage you to take some time this afternoon to read this in detail, because right now, just sort of the the Cliff Notes version of it, it talks about salvation. And in the first 11 verses uh, of Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the, the vertical nature of our salvation, how when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved, we are made right with our Creator, with our Redeemer, with our Savior. It's the vertical aspect of our salvation. When you get down into uh, verses 11 through 22, the second half of the story, you see that there's also a horizontal aspect to our salvation. We are redeemed, we are rescued vertically with God, through God, by Jesus Christ. Something also happens horizontally on this planet with those that, that we do life with. Look at how, look at how Paul writes this. I encourage, again, you read this entire chapter, right? but right now, go down to verse number 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Right? Uh, we see the result of what happens is, is corporate. It goes for the whole body. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together uh, is grown into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, a sinner who repents and trusts Jesus isn't only born again, he's also born into a family. You have the vertical and you have the horizontal. The horizontal flows or follows the vertical. These two things happen together. So when we sit down on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, other churches on a Wednesday evening or a Saturday night, when the church sits down at the dinner table that is corporate worship, you don't sit alone. Salvation has a corporate nature, and our worship has a corporate nature as well. So 
the Bible gives us several different pictures or portraits of what the church is. And there's all kinds of them. Early, the early church was called the way. So when somebody says the way, it, it conjures up, it brings up certain ideas about what the church was. Or the, the, it is uh, uh, your exiles, as we read from Peter, right? That brings up certain things. It tells us something about that. I want us to look at three pictures of the church this morning and what that means for our corporate worship. We're actually only going to look at two of them this morning together. The third one, which is no less important, right, is on our one sheet. So I want to encourage you to use the one sheet to look at yet another uh, picture, a portrait of what the church is and how that impacts our worship. But the first thing that I want you to think about, the first portrait of the church, is that the church is an outpost for the kingdom of heaven. And if, you know, if, if outpost isn't a familiar word to you, if you were in the military, you probably have a, 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 a different picture of it than what a lot of us would. Right? But, so think embassy. Think, think embassy. So, so in, in, in a foreign country, there is a section of ground that is considered U.S. soil. It's an outpost of the United States of America. The people there, right, follow the rules that we follow here. They, they, they hold up the same values that we hold here. It's an outpost. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel as an outpost of God for the world. And sometimes that outpost would travel around. Sometimes that outpost was strong. Sometimes that outpost was shattered into pieces. But it was a, a, a group of gathering of exiles who belonged to the same country and follow the same rules. And the church is a gathering, an assembly of exiles who belong to the same heavenly country. We are fellow citizens of Christ's holy nation. Ephesians 2 and 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2 tell us those things. In, in the Old Testament, you see this. In the New Testament, we become those ambassadors. The church is, are those ambassadors for Jesus. We see Paul tell us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He identify, Paul identifies himself with us when we gather. Uh, God identifies himself when we gather together. So a local congregation, as if we needed another definition of what the church is, we're going to add something to that. A local congregation is a collection of former outcasts whom the king has justified. He has brought under his lordship and has empowered them to follow his law of justice and love. This means that the church is a preview of what is to come in the new Jerusalem in a future time. You want a picture of what, what heaven's going to look like? The church should give you a glimpse of that. Imperfect? Absolutely. But it gives us a glimpse of what is to come. We are like a movie trailer uh, for the, the main event that's coming right, soon. So what does that mean? If we are a collection of exiles, if we, are, if we are a part of the kingdom in a foreign land when we assemble, what does that mean for our worship time when we assemble together? I have a few things to throw out for you to consider this week. The first of those is that we assemble as ambassadors, not as consumers. We come here right, to learn how to better be ambassadors for our king, for our sovereign. The goal of our worship experience is not to entertain, it's not to, to provide even an inspiring experience, 
It's to honor our king. It's to elevate him and to make him known. A second thing is that we don't go to church to worship. We worship because we are the church. It's the same sort of reasoning that that we talk about with good works and salvation. We do not do good works in order to earn salvation. We do good works because we have been given salvation. It's the same thing uh, with the church. We don't go to church to worship. We worship because we are the church. And if we treat church merely as an event to attend, we're more more likely to slip into this self-centered mindset. He just didn't say much for me this morning. Man, that song at the end, whoo, that was bad. When are they going to bring giving back? When are we going to serve communion the way by passing passing the plates and and not by having to, to deal with the struggles of the little cups? When we see things uh, in the wrong mindset, it changes their meaning to us. And scripture, uh, the scriptures we've looked at briefly show us that belonging to a church is integral to Christian life. We gather because it's who we are. We worship. When we worship, we embody. We make visible in space and time our distinct corporate identity. A third thing that I would want you to consider this morning is that everything that we do in worship, everything we do when we assemble, should submit to Scripture. We don't write the script. It's already given to us. Everything that we do should submit to Scripture. Ambassadors don't set government policy. They faithfully apply it. And that's what we do when we come together in an assembly. We don't write the script for what we do in a church meeting. We obey God's, God's orders. Yes, there's a lot of freedom in how we worship. You can look, just look at the churches around the valley and you can see that there's freedom in how we are allowed to worship and expected to worship. But we use Scripture as our guideline. Similar to that, a worship assembly is where we declare heaven's judgments. Right? It's not the pastor's pet pets pet projects. It's not a rebuttal against everything, every time something in pop culture pops up. No. We declare heaven's judgment. We serve as the mouthpiece for God's kingdom. And it's not just true of our sermons. When we confess sin in prayer corporately, when we ask God to forgive us of our individual and and corporate sin, we tell the world that we are a, a sin. Two, God's verdict against us. And we, we need him. God, we need you to enter. We need your forgiveness. When we sing songs of praise, we tell the world that we agree that our Father delights in the Son and that he is our sovereign king. When we assemble, we exemplify the culture of God's kingdom. The church should be counterculture. When, when we start to look like culture, we better be careful. When our programs, when everything that we do starts to look no different from the world around us, we are in danger. It's worship, our worship services need to be as well. After all, our meetings are like gatherings of exiles on foreign soil. We declare our allegiance to the God of Scripture. We sing our national anthems and our hymns. We teach our constitution in the preaching of the word. We issue passports when we baptize. We enjoy a foretaste of a national feast when we celebrate communion together. In all these ways, we disrupt the prevailing culture of our age 
and disciple believers into more perfect images of Jesus Christ. And the last thing that I would say from, from this section, or from this idea that we are an outpost of the kingdom, is that our worship assembly should be evangelistic. We don't bend to every whim and, and, and direction of the culture, but the church better be holding up Jesus every opportunity she gets. Because Jesus is the only answer to what ails not only this city, this state, the country, the world, everything. Jesus is the answer, and we must be evangelistic in lifting him up and talking about him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to 20 should be, our, should be what we echo and shout from the mountaintops. That we implore you, we beg you on behalf of God to become reconciled. That should be our message time after time after time. So to sum all this up, since the church is a foretaste of a, the new Jerusalem, our worship should exhibit our distinct nationality and the pleasant aroma of heaven. Uh, it should focus supremely on Jesus, heaven's king. It should embody kingdom priorities. Then as we worship in this way, God further forms us into more faithful subjects under his rule. That is the church as an outpost of the kingdom. Something else that I want us to consider, right? You're going to look at another one at home, and that's the church as a holy temple. Right? No less important than the two that we were talking about in person. So please, use the one sheet. Look at what it means for the church to be a holy temple and what that means for our assembling uh, to worship. But I want to just ask you to, to think of the last time that you walked into this room and you just didn't really feel like being here. Ever happened to you? Yeah, you got a full week coming up, or maybe you had a full week and you just want to rest, and you walk into this room and, or, or the first service area, and you just don't want to be there, but then something happens. Uh, if you've ever attended the first service, now uh, you know who Kay Singo is. If you've ever heard our, if you live in Williamstown or Marietta and you hear our bell ring every morning, that's Kay Singo. She rings our bell. There's times where I've come in and I'm standing on the front row getting ready for things to, to, to happen and I, I, I'm just not feeling it. But then I hear Kay Singo singing at the top of her lungs an old, old hymn and things change. Kay's not the best of singers, but man, she's making a beautiful music to her Savior. And it reminds me Dummy, get out of your own way, right? Something's about to happen. I've been in this room before, standing up here as well, and, and, and maybe I didn't say something just the right way in the first service, and I'm sort of kicking myself, and I'm, like, I'm not focused on what's going on, and then I look over my shoulder, and this happened recently, where I look back and I saw a brother who I know was going through a dark, dark valley, dealing with all kinds of family stuff and personal stuff and just battling demons on about 17 different fronts. And we're singing a song, and he is standing back there with his arms wide, singing the song, singing the words. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art and something changes. If I'd have skipped, 
If I'd, if I'd have just not, not been present, I would have missed that. I would have missed the Spirit using that sister and that brother in order to pull me back in to where I, my head and my heart needed to be. Has it happened to you? <laughs> Has there been something that was prayed, something that was sung, something that was read, a smile that you saw, a hand, a hand that you shook that just pulled you back into a right state of mind, a, a right state of the heart? That's what happens when we assemble. This, this last one that I want us to look at relates to that because the church, when she assembles, is the body of Christ. And I want you just to think about um, uh, the, that for a second because uh, in one sense, Christ's body is the universal church, but there's another sense in which the, each local congregation is, embodies Christ on earth. And I want you just to think about that right? because what do bodies do? A lot, of things, a lot of ways we could answer that question. But bodies grow. They receive nourishment. They fight disease. And every member is an invaluable part of the whole, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And every part helps build up the other part, the other, the other parts of the body, and helps them accomplish their purpose, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. In a few weeks, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, and we're going to look at that in detail, but if you were just to, 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 to peruse down through that and scan down through that, you would quickly pick up on a theme. Because in Ephesians, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse number 5, you see these words, the, the one who prophesies is, uh, is greater, the one who speaks, uh, talks, Paul's talking about all this stuff, but then he gets to the point, so that the church may be built up. If you skip down to verse number 12, strive to excel in building the church up. If you get down to verse number 26, let all things be done for building up the church. The body of Christ assembles to build up the body, to, to, to reinforce and to strengthen the body. So what does that mean for our corporate worship, the time when we assemble together? Well, it means that when we, assemb we assemble to build up and to be built up. Lone Ranger Christians are like a severed limb. It may twitch for a little bit, but real quick, it's going to become useless and dead. If you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, but you're ignoring the assembly time, that's going to happen to you. Think about what COVID did to a lot of us and our mindsets and when we weren't allowed to be together in the same room. I, mean, I battled not being able to, to worship and sing. And I, we, I'm very thankful that we were, a few of us were able to assemble in this, this room and to, 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 to tape or to live stream a, a worship service. But it was different. It was hard. And we assemble, and we should never take that for granted, that we assemble to build up and to be built up. Our corporate worship should undermine self-centeredness. And when we, come, when we come to be built up because we desperately need it, uh, just as I needed to be built up by the brother who was worshiping recklessly um, and, and fully not too long ago. Our corporate worship is discipleship. We sometimes think that uh, our discipleship occurs in small groups or in Sunday school or in programs like Awana or Team Kid. Uh, they occur in small groups, and they do. Those are awesome places for discipleship to occur, but it also occur, occurs when we assemble 
together. Uh, a church service is one of the primary settings in which believers speak truth to one another. When we recite scripture, when we read scripture together, when we pray aloud or when somebody prays and the whole church says amen, uh, when we lift our voices together, we are being there for each other. We are encouraging each other in our daily walk. We are discipling one another through these actions. And the assembly should both reflect and contribute to the church's unity. The whole focus of our Man Up weekend this, this year is unity and standing united. And that, man, the, the, the times where we have been forced to the sidelines, forced to worship from our home, you felt unity crumbling. Maybe it wasn't crumbling, maybe it just felt like it because we didn't know. We weren't able to see each other. We weren't able to, to shake hands, to give, to give hugs, to, to smile at each other, to, 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 to share meals with each other. The assembly should reflect and encourage that unity. And being together, that is the best way for us to be unified. Praying for each other, singing to one another as we sing to our Savior is the best way for us to protect our unity. All, 1 Corinthians says that all of us are essential. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If one of us is missing, we feel it. If one of us is, isn't using our God-given gifts for the good of the, the family, for the entire body, we feel it. We, are, we cannot be as good as we need to be without the Holy Spirit working through every single member because we are all gifted differently. You never, ever want me leading worship through music. Promise you. But God has placed in this local body a lot of people gifted in doing that. We are all gifted differently. Some of us uh, have the gift of hospitality. Some of us have the gift of pastoral care. Some of us have the gift uh, uh, of smiling at just the right moment. But we are not as strong as we should be, as we can be, without all of us doing that. And we, the, the worship assembly is the main way for us to protect and enhance that unity. So since, our, since the church is the body of Christ, we worship as a unified whole, and our worship in turn forms us into a more mature body because we are exercising all parts of the body. I would much rather eat dinner with my family than to eat alone. I, I might get to choose more of the menu if, I, if I'm by myself, but I would definitely sacrifice that, that, that freedom of choice to have my kiddos, my wife, my grandkid around a table in our home. Our gathering around the table is one place where we showcase our distinct corporate identity. And we're unlike any other group of people on the planet. It's here where we fellowship with one another. It's where we nourish one another. It's where we, we build up one another with the goal of greater unity for our family. And when there's big gaps between that, we suffer. We long for it. And as we've seen, the same is true for the local church. Our corporate worship time is a feast. And it's different if one of you aren't here. It's different if we aren't meeting together regularly. Christ himself hosts us at his banquet table. We gather in his honor to delight in the richest of the fair possible as we pray, as we read, as we commune, as we celebrate baptisms. We do all this together. 
This week, I want to encourage you with several things as we, as we walk out of here in just a few minutes. One, I, make sure that you're looking at the one sheet and what it means for us to be and to worship as a holy temple. Two, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to commit Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 24, and 25 to memory. Right? We may even put a chart out in the foyer with a sticker uh, so you can, we can go back to Bible school days. Uh, and, and so we can put your sticker on there uh, or give you a piece of bubble gum or something. Uh, if you, but uh, what an important section of Scripture for our assembling together. And then I want you to wrestle with a question. Right? Am I guilty of forsaking the assembly? The words of the Hebrew writer. Am I guilty of forsaking the assembly? Maybe you're here today for the first time. I want to say welcome back and I hope to see you next week. Are we guilty of forsaking the assembly? And maybe today you're watching online. Uh, I mean, it's not because health is keeping you away. It's just become comfortable. I encourage you to come back uh, to, to worship with us here. Maybe you watch during the week because your schedule has become so full that there's just not time to squeeze in church on a Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to reorganize some things in your schedule so that you can be here. I look forward to this, this study. I, I look forward to us looking at each of the next three weeks of what God does, what we do. Why do we come together? Do we have to come together? as a body of Christ, as an outpost of the kingdom. And the last thing I want you to, to, to wrestle with this week is, how can I better prepare for and participate in the assembled church? Some of us think that preparing for church is making sure we match when we walk out into the daylight on our way here. Or just getting the kids here on time. Or, or, or making sure that we, we, by the time we pull into the church parking lot, that we've got all the screams and the hair pulling and everything else off, um, before we get out and we put on our happy faces uh, and walk into the, the church building. And all that's tough, I know. But how can we prepare for being here? It's not just showing up. How do we prepare for being here? And then how do we participate Sometimes, maybe too often, we make the stage the focal point. And I hope through these next four, three weeks that we see that what happens in the pew is just as important than anything that happens on the platform. And that we are all engaged in this worship service. The church is the body of Christ. If you are not a member of that body of Christ... I want to ask you today, why? Is there something that has turned you off to that group of people? I, if you haven't figured out by now, the church isn't perfect. The one who died for it is. That's why we needed him. If it's because you're full of hypocrites, the church is full of hypocrites and you just can't associate, I understand that. Okay. I thought I found a perfect church once, so about 15 years ago, I walked through the doors of this building, and then as soon as the door closed behind me, guess what? This church wasn't perfect anymore, because I showed up. You're never going to find a perfect church, a perfect body, but we serve a perfect king. And just as my foreman family around our table has our own idiosyncrasies and our own inside jokes and our own lingo and our own experiences, so does this body of believers. 
we, we, when we talk about a brother or a sister who's going on before, we have that shared recollection. We have that shared meaning. And, but it also means that just as my family has valleys, that this family has had valleys. But we also have highs. And I look forward to celebrating the highs with you. If you're looking for a perfect church, not here. If you're looking for a perfect Savior, I hope you join a group of imperfect people who are trying to follow after him as closely as they possibly can. That's my prayer for you. Not a perfect church, a perfect Savior. If you haven't put your faith in that perfect Savior, I pray that you do it today. Uh, well, you have a choice. One day, it could be tomorrow, it could be 2,000 years, that choice will be removed from us. But for now, you have a choice to pick up a cross, deny yourself, and chase after Jesus with all you have, along with the assembly of Christ's body.